0: I'd like to open just with a prayer. I, I, I should have done this earlier when uh, when we were praying for just the offering. But uh, in talking to Jeff this morning, uh, being with his uh, grandchildren and, and son and daughter-in-law all week, it was actually cut a day short because he found out his uh, father passed away. And Jeff actually did the uh, funeral last night. He called me from from Georgia this morning. Uh, it was something he knew that was going to happen. Uh, he had gone up there a month or so ago just to be with his dad because he knew he, his health was just failing on him. Uh, but at the same time, anytime you even you know something's coming when it happens, it's still kind of difficult to go through. But uh, let's pray for Jeff and his family. Father, we do. We love our pastor. He's always so full of joy and uh, excitement. Uh, that's why we love to hear him. That's why we come to this church. Uh, because you work and speak through him, and he has such a heart uh, for you. And, and in this time of loss, we, we just pray that you encourage him and lift him up and uh, give him joy, uh, the joy that you provide. And do the same for all his family members, we pray, uh, that you would just, all those that have been touched through his dad's life, uh, we pray for that impact. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, we, yes, thank you, okay? I always love to see who I'm talking to. I feel with the, with the you don't know what it's like, you ought to just come up here sometime with me, with the spotlights, I feel like I'm being interrogated, I feel like I should confess something, yes I did it, you know, lock me up or something like that. Uh, I did a personality test, I've done it a couple of times, and I always come up an introvert, I think I'm an INFJ uh, or something like that, you can look it up and see how weird I am, uh, but... Uh, The last time I did it, it said you're less than 1% of the population fall into that particular category. Uh, There's probably two ways you can look at that. Well, look, I'm in the top 1%. I always kind of look, because I'm an introvert, I look, I'm at the bottom... And then to come in and have those lights on me, that just kind of scares me. So uh, I can see you. You're still here. Nobody left, I think, since you knew, you knew I was speaking. So thanks for that. Uh, we're going to continue, actually, the series that uh, somebody is leaving. Uh, we're going to continue that series uh, that, that uh, on, on a neighbor. You're saying? Okay. No, you're not. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I probably blew it big time there. Uh, see, introverts do that kind of stuff. Uh, but we're going to do that series on being a neighbor. Just shut up, Bill, and do the message, and don't get distracted. Okay, uh, don't say what you're thinking. Um, and being a neighbor, and, and Jeff uh, asked me to do that. He, he gave me a passage to do, and it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But it's also one of those passages that if you don't know the historical and the cultural and the social setting, uh, the background, it's not going to make sense in the 21st century. We, we have all probably at some point heard the title of this message, all right? And when I tell you what it is, you'll say, okay, I know a hospital this name like that, the Good Samaritan, all right? But the difficulty of us in the, the 21st century is not knowing the impact that it had in the first century. I always say this to my, my students as kind of a shock to them. The Bible, first of all, was written back to them in their culture, in their time, in their language, in their social setting, Uh, And and so in order to understand it, we need to first go back and understand it then, and then bring it up into the 21st century, all right? I mean, the New Testament 2,000 years ago, then add more thousands of years for the Old Testament. Uh, We can't get the impact until we know, first of all, how they would have received it. And And I really believe that's why Jesus says that we are to be his disciples, because the definition of a disciple is a student. Or a learner. And it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to study the Bible. And so sometimes it, it's always, it will always help you if you have a study Bible that you can look at footnotes and, and give you a little background information or, or you Google something when you come across it. You know, what's a Samaritan? What's the deal with that? You know, uh, it would help you with things like this. But there's all sorts of cultural things that are going on there. But they, they, they challenge us in regards to this particular pa- passage, challenges us with our own paradigm, our own way of thinking, in regards to what it means to, uh, to love our neighbor, as well as what does it mean to be a neighbor. And so we have to understand those things. So this passage, uh, I know in, even in looking at it, it's one that I'm familiar with, I've taught on before, but it's still, even as I went over it in, in preparation for this, it challenged me once again to say, am I being the neighbor that God wants me to be? Am I loving my neighbor Who's out there and who's hurting. And and so let's look at it. And as we read through it, and I think they might have it on the screen, uh, as we read through it, I'm going to kind of pause at different places and explain different things in order for it to make sense. So it's found in Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. It follows a passage where in the beginning of this 10th chapter of Luke, uh, Jesus has sent out the 72 you know, say, 72, I thought there was only 12 disciples. Well, that particular time, there were other followers as well. And he sent them out to kind of share the word of God with people. And they came back excited because of the, the power of God that worked in there. And he, and he kind of closes his section by saying to them, he said, blessed are, are the eyes that, uh, that have seen what you have seen. Blessed are the eyes that have seen that you have seen. And then following that, he goes to this parable where he describes an individual, the lawyer, who hasn't seen what he should be seeing. And then after this particular story, in closing out chapter 10 of Luke, he tells another story of two women, Mary and Martha. And Martha is one that is not catching or seeing what they should be seeing. So maybe even as we look at this parable today, he's going to open up our eyes a little bit to what we should see. So so let's look at it. it. It begins on an occasion where an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Man, that's loaded right there. What is an expert in the law? What was the law? Well, the law was the Old Testament. And Understand the only Bible they had back then was the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament like we have today. They didn't have cell phones and all that. You know that. Okay. So, an expert in the Old Testament, this guy is a lawyer of the Old Testament, right? An expert in law. Another way, maybe, to describe him, it doesn't say it here, but most likely he is a scribe. We understand back in that culture, they didn't have printing presses. Somebody copying the Old Testament, and copying it and making another one, that's your penning press. So here's a guy that's doing that, copying over and over again. If you actually kind of study that particular time in history, a scribe had to go through a whole kind of purification process in order to transcribe the Word of God, because this is God's Word. And if he made a mistake, he had to do away with everything he had, and start over from the beginning. So kind of tense there. Now, I, I know in teaching that, that repetition is, it's, it might be one of the lowest forms of education, but it is a form of education. You do something, you copy something uh, enough times that maybe you're actually going to absorb what's in there. So here's a guy who's pretty familiar with the law. And at the same time, it says that he's there to test Jesus. This is not unusual in Jesus's time. The religious people of the day, the scribes and Pharisees, even the Sadducees, different groups of that time who were into the Bible and so forth, they were testing Jesus. Is this guy who's out there doing miracles, turning water into wine and and feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 20,000 people with a few uh, loaves of bread and a couple of fish, is this guy really of God. So certainly they wanted to test him. Is he the real deal? All right. Which is something that God would want us to do. So he says to him, teacher or rabbi, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asked him a question. Well, Jesus throws back a question to him. All right. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Knowing he was an expert in the law, knowing that he is described, he figured, well, you know what it says, So he says, and and some familiar verses are his answer here. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, the two greatest commandments. And so Jesus answers him then, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Not just live in this life, but have eternal life. Life eternal, you will live eternally. If you, notice what he says too, do this, not know it. Not enough to know. It's a matter of taking what we know and put it in action. Do this and you will live. But, but look at, at the response that's there. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked you, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Hey, we sometimes get in that category where we want to be selective in who we serve. Who is my neighbor? You know, Tell me the people. Tell me the people to serve so I'll serve them. But then I can exclude this group over here that I don't have to serve. Let's be selective about this. It's interesting what the message translation says. It says, looking for a loophole. Do you ever do that with God? God kind of, you read something in scripture or you have a God thought, you want to do something and right away we're looking for the loophole. All right. Anybody do that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm raising mine because I do that at times, right? Probably more than I, that I want to confess to. But we want to know what's the shortcut or what's the loophole or how can I get out of this and, and just do the bare necessity and it's okay. But so, wanting to justify himself, who is my neighbor? And, and in that, Jesus responds with this story of the Good Samaritan. And so he says a uh, man was going down uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, stop there again, Jerusalem and Jericho. Jericho is at sea level, maybe even below sea level because within a few miles of Jericho is the Dead Sea, which we know is below sea level. I've been there. It is a desolate place, dry desert, pretty, uh, (laughs) no uh, florage around or anything like that. Am I saying that right? Plants. Okay. All right. Uh, No plants around and so forth. So it's just a barren place. And uh, Jerusalem is at an elevation of 3,000 feet. So this is a, you know, you're, you're going up a mountain. Now, you didn't shoot straight up the mountain. Uh, as you're climbing this 17-mile trip, you're doing switchbacks. You're driving kind of back and forth, you know, making a turn and then going up to the next level and so forth. You're all, you're all familiar with that. And within that area, it is very, like I said, very barren and desolate. Even when I traveled it probably about 10 years ago, uh, going up in a tour bus and so forth, going through there. I just noticed there's not a lot of stops along the way, not a place, not a lot of places to, to to stop along the way. It is barren, but at the same time, it's very rugged uh, terrain, and there's places to the hide and and so forth. So it, this particular time, as Jesus is telling the story, the lawyer would know this is a dangerous road, 17 mile trip. There's a lot of robbers along here. In fact, back in that time, uh, one other term for it was the bloody pass that you could possibly get. You didn't want to travel it at night, and even you should be traveling with other people during the day. And so here's a guy that is beaten up by robbers, and he would say, well, yeah, I, I would expect that. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and went away, leaving him half dead. And so a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Right. A couple of things about priests. All right, because the next guy that's going to be mentioned here is a Levite. All priests are Levites. They're from the tribe of Levi. Right? A Levi is one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob had twelve sons. One of them was Joseph, we know about him, with coat of many colors and so forth. Uh, but Levi is one. It's out of this particular tribe in the time of Moses because Moses was of the tribe of Levi and Aaron his brother, Aaron his brother is the first Jewish priest. And so all priests come from this particular tribe but not all Levite men are priests. But if you're a Levite man, you still have a responsibility once a year to serve in the temple. It's your duty once a year to do that. So here's a priest going down the road, so he's leaving the temple, right, because he's coming down from Jerusalem towards Jericho. But at the same time, here's a guy who's half dead, could be dead. And if a priest touched somebody who's dead, they would become unclean. They would actually have to go through a whole ceremonial washing for one week. Now, you say, well, he's, you know, done with his duties, so he's going down the hill. Well, maybe he's just going down for the day, visiting family, and the next day he's going to come back and go back to his his duties. I'm trying to say that this guy is not necessarily a bad guy. He just has certain responsibilities. On the one hand, he knows that by touching somebody who's possibly dead, he could become unclean. But on the other hand, he knows that the scripture says in Leviticus 19 that you're supposed to love your neighbor. Which do I do? And if this guy's dead, I I really can't help him anyway. Maybe I just walk by and and don't do anything. In addition to that, because there are robbers along the road, this guy might have just been beaten up and left there, and the robbers are still waiting. And if I stop to help him, I'm going to be robbed as well and beaten up and ended on the side of the road just like him. Or maybe, maybe this guy is actually the robber. And when I go down to help him, All right, I'm going to get robbed and beaten up. So the Levite, we don't know whether he's going down the mountain or up. I I kind of have the feeling he was probably going up to serve. But he walks by and doesn't do anything either because he would have to go through that same week of washing and cleansing and purification in order to serve in the temple. And if this is his schedule for the only one day a year that he has to do it, all right, he's defiled and can't do it because he stopped to help this guy. What I'm trying to say is these guys are not necessarily evil. They deal with the same thing that you and I deal with when it comes to God giving us the thought to stop to help somebody. Oh, wait a second. You know, I have a commitment, I have a responsibility. I was thinking about this even as I drove from home to here this morning, knowing that I was going to speak. And here I am speaking to two services and you know, I don't know how many people are are total in both services, but I thought, okay, I'm filling in for Jeff. I have a responsibility. I said, do this, and I actually prayed this prayer, all right, this how selfish I was. Lord, don't let anybody be on the side of the road on my way to the theater, all right, because I get an appointment, you know, what if, like, now I'm not here because I'm helping somebody, you know, took them to the emergency ward or you know, whatever at that point. Where's the speaker? What's the deal? Oh, we'll never have Bill Haggett again because you can't depend on him, all right? So what I am saying, too, that sometimes God asks us to do something. And fortunately, let let me say this. There was nobody on the side of the road. Okay, thank you, all right? My prayers are not always effective, but this morning they were. It's funny, last night, Southeastern had a football game, and they asked me to pray before the game. So I'm looking out, and there are the the storm clouds coming in. I'm thinking, okay, we're going to be rained out. So I prayed, Lord, stop. You know, let the, the clouds pass by and let it not rain. I did not pray for this, lightning. We go into a minute and a half in the game, and they stopped the game because lightning. So you have to wait a half an hour. The lightning kind of stayed there for the time, and another half an hour goes by. I finally, games were supposed to start at 7. We played a minute and a half. By 8 30, my wife and I said, okay, let's go home. If it comes on again, we'll watch it on the computer or something like that. And fortunately, it came back on. But, you know, uh, three quarters of the way through the third quarter, more lightning, and they completed the game at that point. All right? I should have prayed for that. Now, I'm saying that because probably about 20 people, even this morning when I came in, said, Hackett, you didn't pray right. Okay, so okay, but I prayed right this morning because there was nobody on the side of the road. So thank you. Right, just I, I needed to share that, and get it off my chest. So I feel much better. Thank you. All right. So, but you already told you about the priest and Levi. Both of them, they're not bad guys. They're like I said, a lot like us. But a Samaritan. Now I, I have to stop here too, as well, and pause because um, Jesus usually tells something and has a twist to it. Right. We're going along. And back in those times, stories were usually told with three individuals, you know, bad guy, bad guy, good guy. And so the lawyer's thinking, OK, OK, got the priest. I can understand that. I'm a I'm a scribe. I'm not of the priesthood. We don't always get along with priest and Levites. Why I can expect, well, maybe they had excuses and religious duties. But the third guy coming down the road is going to be a lawyer just like me. And OK. right, good end to the story because we're the good guys. But he says Samaritan. But Jesus usually does that with his stories. He always likes to throw in twists. One of my favorite ones is in Luke chapter 16, where actually it's the only parable where a character is mentioned. Anybody know what it is? Lazarus. Lazarus and the rich man. And here's a rich man who's having parties all the time, having people coming over to his house, and everything's going smooth. And Lazarus is poor and is uh, hanging out at the date to the rich man's house. Because it was the custom back in that day, your leftovers, you don't have a refrigerator to put them in, so your leftovers you give to the poor. So that's how he's surviving off the scraps from the rich man's parties and his table and so forth. But not only is Lazarus poor and hungry, uh, he's got wounds that are open sores and dogs are looking, licking his wounds. Doesn't sound real sterile or neat or anything like that. Back in that day, the Jewish person would think the person who is blessed of God is obviously the rich man. Look, he's got money taking care of him. And obviously, there must be sin and wrong things in in Lazarus' life because he's poor and has open sores and, and so forth. And then Jesus says in that particular parable, they both die. And so everybody's thinking as he's telling this story, well, certainly the rich man is going to heaven and Lazarus is going to hell. Their life indicates that. And Jesus says, no, it's the reverse. And he catches their attention. He does the same thing here probably an illustration of that is because I'm at the university, uh, my office is over the top of the place where we have the mail room. And I've often seen two students that might be roommates or friends go to the mailbox room together, all right? And one opens his box and they're, they're told that there's a package that you have and they go get the package and it's cookies from home and also it's a goodies, mom's cooking and so forth. And, and not only that, they get a check for $1,000. And the other roommate goes to his box, and opens it, and nothing. And what are they thinking? You know, what's there? My room is being blessed, and I have nothing. Must have sin in my life. Must be something wrong with me. All right? We often think that sort of thing. We do that with people. We think, well, they're in a bad situation. There must be something wrong with them. (laughs) And it's just the opposite. And that's what Jesus does in that parable. And he does the same thing here to show that twist. A Samaritan. Well, what's the deal with Samaritans? Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom after uh, David and Solomon's kingdom is divided between two kingdoms. And Samaria becomes the capital of it. Uh, Long in about 600 years before Christ, the Assyrians come in and overtake the northern kingdom and capture it because Israel, the northern kingdom, is living in sin and not following God. And so the Assyrians come in and they capture it and they take some of the the Jews back to Assyria with them. But they also leave some of their people in control of the Northern Kingdom. They eventually intermarry with the Jews. So Samaritans are Jew, part Jew and part non-Jew. They're half-breeds. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up watching all sorts of Westerns. And it always seemed that somebody that was You know, had a mother that was an Indian and a father that was a cowboy, or vice versa. They were a half breed. Nobody liked them. You're a half breed. You get spit on and beaten. And that's part of what was here that this person is not a true Jew. They're part non Jew, so they're looked down upon. In addition to that, Samaritans don't worship at the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, they're not even allowed there. They worship at Mount Gerizim. So they worship at a different place. So again, don't like them. So they're just kind of separated out there. In addition to that, sometime around 1 BC in the night before the Passover is going to be celebrated in the temple, which is the greatest most important most religious Jewish holiday, right? Samaritans sneak into the temple and take some bones from dead people and even some corpses into the temple and desecrate the temple it's kind of like the rival football team coming in and you know tearing down your goalpost and and burning your mascot or something like that it's just the hate exists between these two groups and so rather than a lawyer being the third guy that comes along and helps this guy here is this disgusting samaritan that comes along and and the lawyer's thinking my goodness no the samaritan ought to be the guy in a ditch And a Jewish person coming along and helping him, or especially a lawyer. But no, it's this Samaritan that does what? As as he was traveling, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Interesting little verb there, took pity on him. Another way to say that is he had compassion on it. If I was going to be real literal, it would say this, he was troubled in his bowels when he saw that. Now, that sounds really gross, but in the Jewish mind, in the Greek mind, it was your intestines that contained your emotions. And and we do that today. What do we say? Hey, I had a gut feeling. All right, a gut feeling. Or you hear some horrible news, and what do you say? Man, when I heard that news, it was like somebody just punched me right in the stomach. You know, so that's a very natural thing back then to think that the... The intestines was where your emotions were. And and it's interesting, too, that this word used as a verb in the New Testament is only found in three Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's only found used of Jesus. Jesus was troubled in his bowels, was moved with compassion. He took pity on various people, and often a miracle took place. And it's then found in three parables, this being one of them, but in every single one of the three parables, the person who is moved with compassion or taking pity is representing a godly figure, if not God himself. In other words, the Samaritan is acting in the same way Jesus would have acted. Now, I always find it fascinating that we worship a God that we sang about just a a, a few minutes ago that also was moved with compassion for our needs and is still moved with compassion for our needs. There is no other God in history like that. In fact, for the second time, I'm probably about three-quarters of the way through, I'm reading the Koran. I have no plans of becoming a Muslim or something like that, but I I, want to understand that people group, and I feel I can't fully understand them until I understand what they're reading and, and what they follow. And every morning I read part of the Quran and I I do my devotions in scripture. And and what I would say in reading through it the second time, I still, there's no life to it. There's no power to it. And when I go to the Bible, I read life. What What did Peter say to Jesus in John chapter six when the disciples are leaving Jesus? He turns to Peter and says, you guys are gonna go too. And he says, who shall we go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. And there's something about God's word that gives us that power. But there's the, the kind of emptiness up there. And we have a God that's moved with compassion. This Samaritan was moved with compassion when he saw the man. So what did he do? He, he, he went to him and he, he took the, the cloth that he had and he bandaged the man's wounds. He poured oil on his, his wound and wine. And then he, he put him on his donkey and he took him to an inn. And he he stayed with him for a couple days. And because he had business dealings, obviously he had to move on. But he told the innkeeper, hey, you know me. I travel through here a lot doing business. When I come back, I'll cover any extra expense that this man has. This guy goes out of his way to help this man. You know, what's the inn that he went to? Was that a holiday inn? How much did that cost? Maybe it was a holiday inn express and it wasn't that expensive. I don't know. But I know this guy was willing to take out of his pocket. And I know, too, that he had, just as the priest and the Levite had responsibilities, this man had responsibilities as well. He was traveling. And uh, all assumptions would be he was traveling on business because of all that he had. All assumption would be that he was traveling on business because he most likely knew the innkeeper that would trust him to come back and pay for this man. So he had dealings with this before. So how much does that cost to do that? Now, now what's interesting here is we go through the parable, all right? He takes him back and he looked after him and he said, when I return, I will reimburse you. But in, in, in verse, what is it, 35, he says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the ditch? And the expert in law says what? The one who had mercy on him. Now, I find it fascinating that the man, the lawyer, Cannot say, well, you know, the Samaritan. Can't even say the words Samaritan. No, it was the man who had mercy on him. Samaritans were so disgusting to the Jew that you didn't even want to say the word Samaritan. Notice, too, that the question that the lawyer has that brings us all about the whole parable who is my neighbor? the question that Jesus asked at the end, who was the neighbor to the man? Jesus reverses the question. In other words, the parable itself explains who our neighbor is, anyone in need, anyone in need. Doesn't matter what color they are or what racial group or what political position that they have, you know, crazy times that we live in, we're worried about that, uh, didn't matter whether it's a Democrat or Republican. I don't even know what they are anymore because we all hate one another. But you know, uh, it didn't matter. Right? But he said, who was a neighbor to the man that fell on? Which of the three? So Jesus reverses the question. So what he's telling us is what? Our neighbor is anyone in need. Anyone in need. There's no selectivity when it comes to that. The question is. Is going to be, who are we going to be a neighbor to? Who are we going to help out? Are we going to be a neighbor to anyone who is in need? Because what does he say at the end? He says, go and do the same. Not enough to, to love people. We need to do something. I'm going to get in trouble for this, and Jeff can come back and fix it next week. That's a nice of being a guest speaker, all right? Make a mess, the pastor cleans it up. But... Uh, Right now, one of the things on the news, and we'll see it today, when the national anthem is played before a football game, uh, they're going to be looking. Who's going to be kneeling to draw attention to a certain issue? Right? And you know, I don't know all where you feel on that and so forth. Certainly, we have issues. But m- my question will be, is all that you do a knee? Are you doing more? Right? Go and do the same. Are you going into the communities that are hurting and maybe killing one another and making changes? As a professional player, are you, are you giving your money to maybe raise up dream centers and uh, rec centers for youth and, and doing something? And, and understand me, I, I know a lot of our, our professional athletes do that. And I don't know whether those that are down on their knee are, are doing it or not. I don't know. Maybe they are. But I think Jesus would say to us, if all we were doing was getting on our knee to draw attention to the issue, it's not enough. We need to do something more than that. We need to go out and take pity and be moved with compassion over the needs of our brothers and sisters. Uh, I hope that's not a mess for you, but I, I just think it's, it's something that we need to think of, and I, and I always think about that when, I, when I'm watching a game or something, and I'm, you know, being played and when they're bringing it up. I, I, I want to say, you know, what's behind the scenes? I'm not sure the news, people always want to tell us those things. They just want to sell news, right? But are those sort of things going on? Uh, and it's a good chance that they are. I, I just don't know about it. All they're worried about is the knee, right? Uh, the news people at least. So uh, j- just something to think about. And, and Jeff will fix all this next week if I've offended you in any way. So thank you, Jesus. Okay, that's good at that point. All right. Uh, But I I do want to say this. There are some things that that we need to think about when it comes down to what's our responsibility now, understanding this passage. Well, uh, a neighbor puts others above his or her own needs. That's what this Samaritan did. Put another person who was probably not a a Samaritan. Most likely this person was a Jew. But a neighbor will put others above his or her own, own needs. We need to be people that are willing to do that. And, and I think there are certain professions that do that all the time. People go into to being a fire fireman or a soldier or a police officer or a teacher. They go into different professions because they're more concerned, basically, I think, about the needs of others. And I appreciate those people that, that do that sort of thing. A neighbor is not afraid to help another person, even at considerable cost and time. This Samaritan was was paying out money and it took his time to do that it wasn't convenient you know so often uh, i think about times when i'm going somewhere and i have an appointment i see somebody stuck on the side of the road and i think about all the rationalizations that come to my mind for me not stopping well maybe they're a bad character and if i stop they're going to rob me well they probably have a cell phone and they probably you know AAA is already on the way you know so i don't need to stop Or God knows um, I really have an important thing to do right now, an appointment, so somebody else will do it. So I'm going to do the the Christian thing. I'll pray for somebody else to stop that's after me. Okay, now I feel better from that. I I come up with those rationalizations. And and I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that, that some of you might come up with them as well, right? To kind of justify our situation. So when you get in your car and leave here today, pray what I prayed this morning. Don't let anybody be stuck on the side of the road and we're safe at that point. No, no. Uh, a neighbor is willing to take a risk to help somebody. Now, think about this. Here's the Samaritan. This guy that's been beaten up and robbed is most likely a Jew. Think about another group of Jews coming along and seeing a Samaritan over, the, you know, standing by this beaten up guy. They would most likely think he's the one who did the beating up. And then they would take care of him. So he's putting his life on the line. He's taking extreme risk by helping out this Jew who hates him. And a neighbor is not afraid to cross cultural and and racial barriers and and sexual barriers and and religious barriers. Not afraid to do this. All right? It's interesting. This summer I read a book, and I'm I'm, I'm finishing up, winding up, I promise you, landing the plane. All right? but I, I read a book this summer to, to kind of help me to understand the whole uh, LGBTQ, transgender, homosexual issue, right? I wanted to see what the scripture said, and the fellow that I read you know, talked about the scriptures and so forth. But he also talked about Christians and how they act at, uh, towards this group. And, and I shared this uh, probably a, a month or so ago at, at the mothership, the uh, you know, victory at the north side, you know, the holy place, Right? We're just the tabernacle here. But I shared it there, and uh, w- in the book, it, it did a study by the Barna Research Group, who do a lot of studies for news agencies and different groups and so forth. And what they did, they asked a group of 20-something non-Christians. They said, when you think about Christians, you as non-Christians who are in the 20s, when you think about Christians, what comes to your mind? 91% said Christians are homosexual. Okay, now let's go back to the parable in the story, right? Probably back then time, you asked the Samaritan, what do you think of Jews? They would probably say 91% uh, when you think of Jews are anti-Samaritan, right? 87% said Christians were hypocritical. 85% said Christians are judgmental. Now, as I look at that, 91% 91% anti-whatever you want to put behind that. Anti-whatever. Judgmental, hypocritical. It doesn't sound like Jesus. But it does sound like a group of people that Jesus condemned. The religious people of the day. The scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyer. That were anti and judgmental and hypocritical. And I, when I heard that statistic, it broke my heart. Because I, I don't think that's the... Impression that we want to give of, of Christians or the church. I don't think we want to be known by that. And yet somehow that impression is out there by non believers that that's what we are. What do we need to do to change that? Well, maybe what we need to do is be like the Samaritan and show love first because that's what Jesus did. He didn't come with a list of rules and said, Well, I can't help you. You know, you, you're a Samaritan, this and that. He came with love and loved all people. One of the longest discourses he has with an individual is in John chapter 4, a discourse with a Samaritan woman who has had five husbands and living with a sixth male. And he doesn't come with a list of rules. He comes with love and acceptance. So how do we do that, all right? My challenge for you today is to think about ways that we can love and be a neighbor. That's our challenge of this series. One of the things that, that happened to us at Southeastern uh, about seven months ago, our, our dean of the College of Education uh, came across, she grew up in Winter Haven, went to Winter Haven High School. Uh, she saw a friend of hers that also went to Winter Haven High School. They kind of just connected, what are you doing now, and so forth. They had lunch together. And the friend actually had an autistic child and said to the dean of our College of Education, Amy Bratton, said to Amy, uh, has Southeastern ever thought about doing something, maybe starting a school for that? And uh, they were having lunch at the university, and I happened to walk by, and Amy shared it with me. And I said, man, tell me more about it. And it's something I know that we have talked about as our leadership team at the university. And it's always been a dream of Dr. Engel to start a school for those that don't necessarily have a quality school for And and when she shared it with the leadership team, we said, this is a no-brainer. Seven months ago, uh, just about two weeks ago, we opened up that school for about 22 students. We started with the needs that came to us. We started with a middle school, a high school, and a post-high school. We we intend to expand it. Probably people are still waiting, is it going to happen? It's been on the news that we're doing this type of thing. But to me, it's great as a university to say, we want to love our neighbor and understand them. But just one more part, and I'll get you out of here, I promise. Uh, The principal of that school, Terry Payton, uh, because she knew this was happening a couple months ago, she was at a local Special Olympics event. Talking to the guy who kind of coordinates for Central Florida, all the Special Olympics event, uh, said, have you ever thought about having an event at Southeastern University? And so she brought it back to the leadership team and said, "We'll, we'll make it happen. And so yesterday we had our first local uh, Special Olympics event. It's so neat, so neat. And, and because of uh, Jeff's message last week, my wife and I just said on Monday, I said, what can I do? Let's, let's be a part of this. And my, my wife and I just volunteered. You know, the pastor gives a message, you better do something there, all right? So uh, we went yesterday, and uh, we were in, with the power lifters, probably about a, a dozen guys, that we're doing all different weights at different times, and my wife was a scorekeeper, and I was an announcer and so forth. I can't tell you how many times tears would come to my eyes from doing that. I can't tell you the excitement of the guy who is the coordinator for Central Florida. He was at being at Southeastern. He said, I've never, we've never had a facility like this, and, and we've never had such help like you guys have helped. And we said we want to do this on a regular basis. And he said, "Well, I'm going to try to get Polk County uh, Special Olympics in Hillsboro next year. Today we just had Polk County, or yesterday we just had that." Uh, but I, I'm going to tell you, I gave up my time, but the payback was unbelievable. Such joy of doing that! You see, God says, "When you give, you get." We don't give in order to get, but it's the result. For God so loved the world that he gave. And when you go and you serve as a neighbor and you love on somebody, I'm just telling you, the payback is unbelievable. You find out what it means to be Godlike, And that's what he's saying about neighborliness. If you would reach out and take a risk, maybe even at your own expense, the joy that you will receive from doing this far outweighs the expense and the inconvenience that you're thinking of, and all the excuses that can come up. Are you with me? Is that making sense? So, Father, uh, we, we pray that you would challenge our hearts to be like you, to be givers and not takers, to give not to receive, but just to give because that's what it means to be Godlike, to give without expecting anything in return. But we know that the joy that you will give us in return far outweighs any inconvenience, any time, and, and help us in that. We, we so often, I, I'm sure there's others like me, that when there's a need, we come up with all sorts of excuses like the priest and the Levite. But help us, Lord, not to do that, but to listen to that, that God thought that said, go ahead and do it. Take the time to do it. And we'll, we'll just see that as different God moments. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. God bless you, have a great Sunday, all right? We'll see you.